if you love me, you will keep my commands. The title of today's message is Your Rebellion Puts Others at Risk. Your rebellion put others at risk. If I had to give it a subtitle, it would be, you are surrounded by chaos and you don't even know it. Let's turn to Jonah. Y'all keep that excitement. (laughs) Keep that excitement. Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter 1. So before we jump into the book of Jonah, who is Jonah? Who was Jonah? What was Jonah all about? 2 Kings 14.25 refers to him as a servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was of Gath-Hefer, which was an ancient border town of Israel. Jonah's name is Hebrew and means dove or peace. Jonah was to be a reluctant messenger of God who at first ran from God, God's will, only to discover (laughs) that there is no place that God isn't already present. God is always, he's omnipotent. I'm not not, not, not omnipotent, but I'm, uh, what's that word? There you go. Thank you. He is everywhere all the time, every time. Jonah was clearly a prophet of the northern kingdom or the ten tribes of Israel, which had been divided from Judea. And they were slowly becoming more and more like the pagan nations around them. Let me say that again. Jonah was part of the ten tribes of Israel that divided from Judea. So they established themselves in the southern kingdom, and they were slowly becoming more and more like the world around them. They began to adopt some of the customs. They began to carry themselves just like the pagans. They looked like the pagans. They talked like the pagans. They smelled like the pagans. But they were the Israelites. That's a problem. So Jonah was unlike most prophets in Israel. First of all, he was sent to a pagan nation, and he also fiercely resisted God's calling him to preach in Nineveh. So we begin Jonah's story in chapter 1. Chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. God called it a great city, but if you do some studying, you find out there's a lot of stuff that was going on in Nineveh. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into, in, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So here we have Jonah. The Lord told him to do one thing. 
just one thing. Go to Tarshish and bring my word to them. Now, Jonah was a man of God. But Jonah decided, I'm not going to Nineveh. Me? Go to Nineveh? Me? I don't like those people. Can't stand those people. I don't have nothing to do with them. No, Lord, I ain't going to Nineveh. Matter of fact, I'm going to Tarshish. Watch this. So immediately, (laughs) Jonah says no to God's calling him to Nineveh. Jonah said no. And so he boards a ship bound for Tarshish, but he will soon discover that you cannot run and you cannot hide from God and his will for your life. Your life. Your life. Pointing at y'all. Your, me too. Your, your life. See, Jonah was commanded by God with, this, with specific instructions, uh, but Jonah disobeyed him. He disrespected him. He ignored him. Jonah got up and ran in the opposite direction. Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with those people. They were beneath him. Although some Jews back in the time did associate with folks from Nineveh, it was for monetary reasons only as they had commercial interests. In other words, they just tolerated them because they wanted to do some business. What has God called you to do? Who has God called you to? How has he commanded you to live? And what areas of your life have you blatantly disobeyed God? See, we laugh at Jonah. Jonah ran the other way. What about us? What areas of our life are we blatantly operating in disobedience to God's commands? See, many of us here today have more in common with Jonah than we would like to believe. Blessed quietness. Where are you running? Why are you running? You don't think God sees you? It's only because of, I see, the difference between back then and now is that Jesus is interceding for us. He's saying, Father, have mercy upon them. Have mercy upon them. So let's look at the result of Jonah's disobedience. Let's go back to Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. So so when when we go back and look at this, God literally hurled a great wind upon the sea. God threw a strong storm at the ship, threatening to break into pieces. As a matter of fact, some versions talk about that uh, a tempest 
arose. A tempest. What is a tempest? What is a tempest? A tempest is a violent disturbance of the atmosphere accompanied by wind and often by precipitation. A violent disturbance of the atmosphere. So what is so amazing here is that Jonah was asleep while all this was going on. The boat was rocking. The sailors were screaming. They were tossing junk over the ship to see if that would lighten the load so the ship wouldn't break apart. And Jonah is sound to sleep. Jonah didn't even realize that he was in a storm. Jonah didn't realize that his very life was in jeopardy. He was asleep. Jonah was at peace with his disobedience towards God. It didn't even bother him that he was disobeying God. Jonah was like, I'm going to go down here and go to sleep. He was comfortable in his disobedience, so much so that he was sleeping through a violent storm. Where are you, beloved? Have you checked out your environment lately? Has your atmosphere been violently violently disturbed? What about the atmosphere of those around us? You see, because of Jonah's disobedience, not only was his life at risk, but the very lives of the men on that boat. But Jonah was sound asleep. How can he be asleep with all this going on? When we look out at our environment, there's a lot of things going on. Would it be safe to say that we are surrounded by chaos? Or do you really see it? Have you paid attention to the signs? Have you watched the weather patterns? The earth is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Have you noticed in the news lately the increase on children being killed in murder? Violence in the street. I think it's safe to say that we are surrounded by chaos. Then why are so many of us asleep? We laugh at Jonah. But we are in the same shoes as Jonah. How do I know? Whenever we have prayer on Fridays, there's only about five, six people to come out. We're surrounded by chaos. So the natural thing to do would be to pray and intercede for the people and for God, for his glory to come in and change things. But we are asleep at the bottom of the boat. Have you ever wondered how can there be a church on every corner of a neighborhood and it be surrounded by chaos? And every Sunday, people come in and they go out, dressed in their Sunday's best, and they drive past, walk past, 
the neighborhood and the chaos that is around it. We are asleep. You see, when we disobey God, we bring chaos to the lives of the people around us. Romans 11.29 states, God never changes his mind when he gives gifts or when he calls someone. See, many people use this verse to support their belief that God never changes his mind about them because most of the time it's a cop-out to do what they want and use God's grace as an excuse. What gift has God given us? What gift has God given you? to use in our community. See, Paul meant a whole lot more in this verse than what's merely stated here. Many have abused this verse because for them, it gives them a license to live like children of hell and yet lay claim to this verse that God is still going to use them no matter what because of his grace. Let me help each of you reach a full understanding what this verse means because the Lord prefers our hands and our hearts to be clean. God has not changed his mind about a gift or calling that he's given you or me. But that does not mean that you or I can just live any way we want to. You see, the person whom he has called is going to respond to the gift or call. They should, we should respond. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. That means the majority of us who have been called to do a work, but there's only a few of us who are willing to pay the price of sacrificial living to do what the Lord requires of us. We refuse to give up the things of the world. We refuse to separate ourselves. We refuse to live holy. We blatantly live a sinful life. And we are just plain and simple, not afraid of God, like Jonah. We flaunt our sin in his face and say, now what? See, now, has the Lord changed his mind about the call in your life? Of course not. But will he force anyone to do what they are unwilling to do? Of course not. And see, here's where many miss it. Regardless to whether you fulfill your call or not, you and I will still be judged for who God called us and what God called us to. Just because we are unwilling to surrender does not erase the assignment off the book. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to Jonah. Chapter one, verse seven. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots. And the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and dry land. 
Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? The men he was fleeing from, the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had, he had told them. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. Let me pause there real quick. You ever wonder why some people reject us? As believers? And we get all teary-eyed and we cry all about it. They're trying to get you out of their environment because you're running from God. And they know you don't fit in. They're like, no, no, stay away from me. The moment you're in a relationship and you decide to get right with God, they're like, got to go. Because you're still living in sin. But you know what? Because you're living in sin, I don't want your chaos around me. They knowingly and unknowingly do that. And we cry about God, cry to God about rejection. <laughs> Instead of crying to God about rejection, let's ask the question, Lord, why have they rejected me? Now, it's not always because of that. Sometimes the Lord is separating us. But I will say, it's safe to say that for some of us, the rejection was because they knew that we're, we're a child of God. They know there's a calling on our lives. And they know that we're living in sin. And they don't want the chaos. Verse 14. Is it verse 14? No, no. Verse 12. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you, for I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they didn't throw them over. They was like, you know what? We're not going to throw you over. We're going to just try and get back to shore. It got worse. Think about it in your lives where people try to hang on to you. And things got worse. Verse 14. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Well, let me back up. When Jonah said for them to throw him into the sea, Jonah didn't have it in his mind the Lord's going to save him. That was Jonah's suicide plan. Just throw me over. Just throw me over. He had no idea that he would be saved by God. He was willing to end his life rather than be obedient to God. All Jonah had to say was, yes, Lord, everything would have stopped. But instead, he said, throw me over, just kill me. Just kill me. Verse 14, so they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you please. Verse 15. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea instantly stopped. It's raging. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, these men, because of what they just saw, is like, oh, that's the real God. So right then and there, all those gods they were praying to originally, they was like, uh, no, no, this, this is the real God. Let, let, let's make sacrifice and vows right here and now while Jonah's sinking in the sea. <laughs> Verse 17, now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. He had appointed. Always have a plan. 
always has a plan. And Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Three represents somewhat of a completion. Not as strong as seven, the number seven, but it represents somewhat of a completion. When you go back and you finish reading uh, the book of Jonah, you see why it's not a full completion. It was only the first phase of Jonah repenting. Later in the book, you find out that Jonah finally did go to Nineveh. He finally went to Nineveh and gave the Lord's message, and the people repented. And Jonah was mad because they repented and they weren't destroyed. Yeah. So you know the Lord's work wasn't complete in Jonah. So sometimes the Lord will divinely orchestrate a situation that will bring you to a place of repentance. He will allow a storm to rage around you and then put you in a place where you are face to face with yourself and your sin. There's no way to escape it. It is right there in your face. You don't believe it? Go back and you look at um, the Israelites, the plagues. All those plagues weren't just, they didn't, they didn't mean, the, you know, the locusts. All, it wasn't just a coincidence. Each and every plague represented one of the gods that the Egyptians were worshiping that the Israelites began to worship. Each and every one. So what did he do? He put it in their face. Don't believe it? When they were out in the desert. And, you know, the Lord blessed them with manna. No, no, not manna, the quail, the quail. He blessed them with the quail. They began to worship that and then began to complain against it because they were tired of it. And so the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to give you quail till it comes out of your nostrils. So whatever sin that we refuse to let go, the Lord is going to smear it in our face until we get our fill of it and then decide to turn from God. Jonah had spent three days in the belly of the whale. Some of us right now are in the belly of a whale. The question is, What will you do? How long you stay there is completely and totally up to each and every one of us. So, today's Communion Sunday, right? And so, before we take communion, you know, we always read the scripture and we talk about examining ourselves. So, here is the question. There's no doubt that the Lord's grace is over us, and he's been trickling blessings just to keep us going. But, uh, but, but the question is, is what area of our lives are we still in rebellion? The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So what area are we blatantly casting our sin or flaunting our sin in God's face. It is only by the mercy of God that we are still alive today. It is only by Jesus interceding for us that we are still alive today. 
when you go back to when Moses was delivering the Israelites out of Egypt and they were at the foot of the mountain while Moses was up getting the commandments, God caused Moses to stay there longer so that the people at the foot of the mountain, so, when Mo, so, so, so Moses could see what was really in those people. And so when Moses came down off that mountain and really saw what was in the heart of the people, because out of the heart flows the issues of life. We can only put up, uh, put up a, a, a front for so long. Sooner or later, the true us is going to come out. I don't care how you cut it, slice it or dice it. The true us is going to come out one way or the other. So Moses had to stay on that mountain a little bit longer. Now, trust me, it didn't take God that long to write down Ten Commandments to give Moses Ten Commandments. He wanted the true nature of the people to finally come out. So we're at the mountain. We're at the foot of the mountain right about now. And this season, this next season, this month represents a transition month. God is gearing up and getting ready to give us some new marching orders. So we're in a period of transition. We're at the foot of the mountain. We're in a holding pattern, if you will. So some, that's why some of our situations haven't really fully changed. God is keeping us there so we can see the true nature and condition of our hearts. See, God is not going to move you into the promised land with your heart being the way that it is. God will not move you into the promised land while you are still worshiping pagan idols. You have one foot in Egypt, and you're trying to put the other foot in the promised land. It just won't work. So we are in a holding pattern. And there's been many words that come across this pulpit about Church of Life Ministries being a lighthouse in this community, right? You think those marching orders have changed? No. It's still the case. And it will happen sooner than we think. But here's the question. I'm going to drop this mic and run after that. But here is the question. Will you be a part of it? Because God is, he's tired of having church of life in a holding pattern. He's given us every opportunity to get it right. So what's going to happen is, is if we don't get it right, that doesn't change the mission of Church of Life Ministries. It just means you're going to be moved out the way. And he's going to bring in someone, a, a people, who will fulfill the call of the Lord over this ministry. Individually, there's a set of people that each of us are called to. And because of our disobedience, those people are suffering needlessly. Because we refuse to let go of things. So they're suffering because of our rebellion. So sooner or later, God is going to say, enough. And he's going to move us out of the way and bring in someone else to reach those people. 
So before we take communion, I think this is a great time for us to examine ourselves. See, there's no reason in coming up to the altar because we can't pray over your rebellion. We can sit here and talk in tongues, pastors or the ministers, the elders, Mother Bell. We can pray. But the only prayer that would be really answered is, Lord, open their eyes to their condition. Because he's not going to change our situation as long as we are in rebellion. So there's no use in coming up to the altar, snotting, crying, falling out. And getting up and going right back out into the same rebellious, blatantly sinful life. So don't play anymore. God is saying enough is enough. Everybody stand.